0: hey this is Kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is Yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we are preaching
0: so what is astonishing you?
1: Well, uh, like a lot of people around the world, um, I was saddened by uh, the death of actor Chadwick Bozeman and um, have been um, astonished by things in his life that I did not know. I mean, of course, you know, he's so well known for um, his um work in the movie Black Panther and that's meant so much to so many of us. And you know, I'm a nerd from the 80s. And so Star Wars, superheroes, comic books, trading cards, I was all into it um, as a kid. And I did notice, you know, especially as I became a teenager, hey, where are the black superheroes? Where are the superheroes who look like me? and um eventually i just kind of faded out of that world i mean i was still a nerd but um in terms of superheroes like when all of the the big marvel movies started coming out spider-man and um the avengers i i I just wasn't interested because i knew there would be no one who looked like me and, and i was i was over it and so when that movie came out, it was a big deal. And it, it brought up a lot of things from, you know, my childhood when you're, you know, looking for heroes. And I mean, it it was a big deal. That, that role was a, a big deal for lots of folks, including myself. But the thing that really astonished me was that this man was battling colon cancer for what four years and making action movies i mean talk about um perseverance um uh i'm just astonished and inspired by the fact that he could go through chemo which you know basically what a kind of wipes out your immune system you're not supposed to be around people um and he goes through chemo and still is able to produce such fantastic, wonderful, amazing work. And nobody knew what he was going through. And as I was listening to you know all of the news stories and you know, reading some articles, I started thinking, oh, <laughs> what do I have to complain or worry about? I've, I've got some some things that are weighing on me in these, in this season. I've got some struggles. I got some things that are hard. I got some things that are pressing on me. I got some things that are unpleasant. I feel squeezed in, in many ways. And I am inspired, um, by his life to say, okay, we are, we're going to fight. We're going to move forward. We're going to persevere. And, um, I'm so saddened by his death, but inspired by how he lived his life he He lived in such a way you know we have to try to strike strike this balance between it's not quite living like we know it's our last day, and it's not living like we have forever it's you we all know that at some point we're going to die, and we just live. We just live in our full, I don't know, happiness and potential and effort. And um, I'm just astonished by that um, in his his story, his life.
0: Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, there is certainly, um, I mean, in general, his death was so unexpected, obviously, to the public. Um, And so I think across the board, people really admire his body of work. And I mean, that story of, um, of just living so intensively, even while you're facing this, um, this battle is inspiring to people of all races. I do think that for some white people, it just might be really hard to understand why um like why black panther was such a big, big deal why he is such a big deal um and i and i think it's just important to realize i mean whatever i mean it's just what you said i think it's hard for white people because when we go to the movies every hero looks like us um only half the villains but every hero every whatever and it's just you can't really imagine what it would be like to never to never see um, a, a body like yours Um, represented as something to aspire to or someone you could trust or so. And I just think it's hard. I mean, I think that it's worth um, sort of white people doing the thought experiment of imagining that like in the scope of what we talk about a lot on this podcast in the scope of educational inequity and healthcare inequities and housing inequities and, you know, um, extrajudicial killings by police officers to say like, Oh, there are no um, black superheroes. Obviously, you know, it's not on the same scale, but when you put all of those things together, because um, it it is, I mean, it's a different kind of, um, I don't know, um, violence of imagination or something. I mean, like just this,
1: this. That's a nice way to put it.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that that's really um, just important for for people to understand why um, why it matters so, so much.
1: Well, so. and representation matters.
0: Yeah. yeah. Being able okay.
1: to see what you could be or to imagine greater, that is important.
0: Well, I also just think like what you see on screen tells you what the world thinks of you. So if you're yes. asked from a certain role. It's not, I mean, like, I don't think, I think that children in particular are really extraordinarily, um, not, not bound by what, um, by the patterns and, um, you know, accepted standards of the world. Like, like, especially children are incredibly imagining. So I don't know. I mean, I know that it matters that, um, you see, but I don't know that it limits kids as much as it conveys to kids. This is what, how the world sees you. Right. And so I think it, you know, I think it also limits how you see yourself, but I think the more deadly thing is that it tells you how the world sees you. And that's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really, uh, that's a wound. And, um, so yeah, a psychological one. So
1: yeah. And speaking, and speaking as, um, a nerd we need more black people in outer space man <laughs> too many science fiction movies you, you might get one like do listen you, do you not see us in outer space we're going I mean we're gonna be there so hello
0: I can say with pride <laughs> I have no idea how many black people are in outer space science fiction movies and I'm okay with that, but I believe you. I believe you. Um, here's what's interesting. Um, it must be, sometimes do these things sync together and we, we do trust us. We do not plan them, but I guess it's like your day on the podcast, because when I was thinking about what is astonishing me this week, um, and usually we try, um, for it to make this more experiential, but you know, since we're not really having experiences right now, with Canada, it, it does tend to be um, lately thoughts and uh, you know insights that really are giving me life um, and opening my eyes to um, just where the presence of God is. And so, and my um, we have some two, uh, two virtual small groups where we've been looking at um, the Book of Ephesians. And we've been using um, Eugene Peterson's *Practicing Resurrection* to to read as a text to then read through the main text, which is Scripture, obviously. Um, and we wrapped it up this week um, for, and so it's been a really nice long season. Um, and so we were looking at the very end of chapter six, which is um, which has the the famous stand, like therefore stand um, passage, which I. I mean, apologies to Stephen King, but like, I've never really understood that metaphor Mm. of um, Christian life. And I definitely, I mean, have, have spent more time in mainline circles than, than uh, charismatic circles. And so, so the idea of spiritual warfare hasn't been as present in my thought world as it might've been, had I become up in a different part of the body of Christ, which is not, you know, that's not great, but it's just true. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, So spiritual warfare in general, don't think about as much. And then particularly just this image of, of the stand as, um, as the posture of spiritual warfare, it's just never made a lot of sense to me. Um, and so I have really been appreciating, um, looking at Peterson sort of opening up, um, his understanding of Ephesians and basically saying like the way that we participate in spiritual warfare is not um, based on what we do, that the way that we participate is based on who we are, which then makes the idea of standing very different. Like you're not running, you're not battling, you're not um, doing acts of you know, offense or defense, like the way that you take a stand in, in the spiritual battle, which I think um, obviously is something for many people, definitely me, and I know you, like all, all of this feels very, very visible. Just the, um, just the spirits of, um, enmity and violence, um, are, are so visible, those powers and principalities that Ephesians talks about. Um, and, and so helpful again, to read that reminder that we do not have human enemies. So, So when we see what's happening in the world and and we see um, certain ideas and acts are obviously embodied in humans, but it's really important for us to understand that we don't have human enemies, that our enemies are these um, spirits of violence and evil and othering and um, destruction. And anyway... But I, so I've, I've been thinking about that this week, that metaphor of the stand and just really appreciating it because um, one of the things that Peterson points out is, you know, un, unfocused energy, even if it is good, like just reactive, unfocused energy is basically like a riot or a stampede and it's not helpful. Like, so in this moment, um, when I think, especially in the United States is, is you know, uh, whatever cliche dealing with the pandemic of coronavirus and then sort of awakening to like oh goodness um, we we have um, celebrated and cemented these structures that are just unjust and and um, and they're they're becoming visible to some of us and that is um, something that we can cannot ignore although. <laughs> the cynical part of me says, we'll probably find a way <laughs> anyway, but we're, mm-hmm. we're dealing with these two things. And I, I think it's it's really for a lot of believers. I mean, I see a lot of unfocused, undisciplined energy that I think is being, um, harnessed for evil. And so it's just this idea of, of maintaining that no matter what is happening in the world around you, we know that our call is not to save the world or to destroy an enemy. Our call is to be um, mature in Christ, you know, to be people who achieve the full stature of maturity in Christ and to, you know, that all the weaponry or the, the armor imagery is, I mean, you know, people who stand in the shoes of peace and, the, uh, helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of truth. And anyway, so thinking about all of that, and then, um, there's a friend of mine, um, uh, whose name is Cedric Lundy and he actually has a great podcast, um, with another friend of his called token confessions. They are two black men who have largely served in white evangelical, um, Christian constructs, if I understand that correctly, which I think I do. And so they, they are sort of, um, Doing this really brave and difficult work of um, within their communities, telling people truth that they don't want to hear, and really um, reaping the whirlwind of people's responses um, to that. And but but he posted something this week. This is a long buildup. I'm sorry um, from from The Hobbit. A quote he really liked for The Hobbit that's really resonating with me. And I will say it has been my um, firm intention to uh, never ever. Preach using a reference from The Hobbit because it's a cliche thing to do. So I saw this and I was like, "Oh, this is really good," but I can't put it in a sermon. But I can't talk about it here because it is. I have kind to of
1: tell funny. you. I have to tell you that um, Han and I, before we got married, our third date was to watch all three of the Lord of the Rings movies in one sitting. Something like, what, eight hours?
0: I mean, like, listen, I I appreciate Tolkien. I've read the books. I don't even hate the movies. I think I've watched a couple of them. I just think there's no greater cliche than a pastor climbing up into the pulpit and talking about The Hobbit. (laughs) I just think that so many times we have pastors who talk about the Hobbit more than they talk about the Bible. And it's just Mm -hmm. problematic. Like it's problematic when our thought world isn't scripture, it's Tolkien, which I mean, I think is very derivative from scripture. I'm not even mad at Tolkien. I'm just saying like, let's use the primary text. Use the
1: primary text. Yes.
0: (laughs) So, but I really liked this um, passage that he lifted up from the Hobbit and I'll just read his words. Um, So he says, there's this moment in the Hobbit, the unexpected journey, where Galadriel, is that right, I don't know, asks Gandalf, I just can't get over the names, why he insisted on a hobbit joining in the dangerous journey with him and the dwarves. And hobbits, if you don't know or aren't into that sci-fi fantasy stuff, were very simple folks. They were the least likely in Middle-earth to go on an adventure and never bothered themselves with the troubles of Middle-earth. And Gandalf, who's the wizard dude, replies, I'm telling you that, like, you don't know, I guess. Maybe there are other people who don't know. Gandalf's, like, the big old wizard, like, omniscient, omnipotent figure. Mm -hmm. Um, He replies, "Um, Saruman, who I think must be evil, right? Mm -hmm. Saruman believes that it is only great power that can hold evil in check. I have found it's the small things, everyday deeds of everyday folks that keep evil at bay, simple acts of kindness and love. Wow. I Bilbo Baggins The Hobbit, is because I'm afraid and he gives me courage. And I was thinking of that in the context of reading that Ephesians about the stand and thinking about Christians who in this moment are so overwhelmed and, and rightly so with just, um, um, fear from the kinds of violent acts and speech that we're seeing, even from within the body of Christ. And it does feel like, oh, this is an extraordinary time. And so I need to respond to it with extraordinary measures. And it seems like just the time that we need to let go of our practices of, um, you know, like controlling our speech or serving others in love or, Um, praying for our enemies. Like it just feels like the time that we need to like, like we've watched too many movies, like we need to rise up and be like, no. (laughs) And, and, and that is a feeling that we've been taught by the world, like the swell of Hollywood music, but the, but the witness of scripture (laughs) and Tolkien is this idea that in a moment like this, it is imperative that we stand. It is imperative that we don't rush off to do battle with weapons that don't belong to us but that seem more effective than the ones that do. It's imperative that we stand not in how we feel but in what the Lord has what God has revealed to us in the whole witness of scripture and in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's imperative that in this time we stand on the values of the gospel which is, you know, doing justice, loving and kindness, and walking humbly, or, you know, standing in our salvation, in truth, in righteousness, in peace. I'm probably forgetting a weapon. Anyway, so that is what I'm thinking about a lot. And I, I, I think I believe that. Um, I, I, I think I do. I think that's a, um, a, an accurate understanding of scripture but I do get pulled because I also just feel like you know there are times when believers are called to move in very particular bold ways again not to attack or to destroy but to lay down one's life or, or I don't I don't know so I guess I just really it's astonishing to me I'm thinking about it I'm wondering what you think about it because in some ways I think the danger for me the pull for me is I feel like sometimes standing can feel like sitting it out or being a bystander. And, and that is not faithful to be a bystander is not faithful, but to stand um, in what Jesus is doing, I think requires incredible courage and wisdom um, and great love and trust but it's sometimes hard to see the difference between being a bystander and just kind of like, well, I'm in my house and I'm taking care of my children and I'm loving my husband and I'm writing my little sermons and recording my little podcast and the world can just, you know, sweep on by, or how how do you stand without a sense of grandeur without co-opting tactics that belong to the enemy and not to us, but also, um, you know, have a stand that, that is part of what God is doing in the full realization of the redeeming of the world. So I'm gonna stop talking now and let you talk.
1: Well, two things come to mind. The first you have alluded to, and that is uh, that standing is not an activity that is um, all by itself. So I'm reminded of a book by a Chinese Christian by the name of Watchman Nee from many, many, Mm -hmm. many years ago. And Watchman Nee wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's so on the book of, the, of Ephesians, right? So that we are to sit in the grace. All that Jesus died and rose to give us, we, we rest in that. Then we are to walk it out. We are to live it out. And there's that middle part of Ephesians, all that practical stuff. Here's how to live and then stand. So the standing is power because of the sitting in the grace, in the walking out of of what you believe. And what that makes me think of the the part of history that comes to my mind that is powerful uh, in terms of sitting or or standing, how that could be a a powerful movement, a powerful force, are those students um, uh, during the Civil Rights Movement who were at lunch counters? All they did was stand there or sit there, and yeah. people yelled at them, poured um, ketchup and mustard on them, and uh, and they were arrested. And that that was that was a stand. Some in the society saw that and said, "This is way too passive. This is yeah. too passive. And if you don't get much more aggressive and much more." angry and much more you this is not going to work and then there were others who said this is way too radical right people have I don't know where they got this courage from that they they think they can do this but we've got to put a stop to this
0: yeah it's too fast I mean and Kaepernick is another example right I mean there's a person yes. just taking a posture what I think is interesting and taking I I can- a
1: posture that's a good way to put it yeah taking a posture
0: but I, I was thinking about this lately, though, and I was talking to my my friend Elizabeth, and I I was feeling more, you know, because there are just moments where, <laughs> hi, I have feelings, right? <laughs> just in case no one's noticed. And, you know, it's just driving around thinking about, I just had this thought about the last Sunday before the pandemic. And just kind of like, I remember the first Sunday the congregation wasn't there um, very vividly. But I do not remember really, and I don't have any real memory of the last Sunday when we were all together again, because it was just, it was, it was a normal Sunday, which is a really beautiful thing. Although I have long felt, and I think it's probably because I'm a woman. And so there were so many years when it seemed very unlikely to me that I would ever pastor a church like that. I knew Mm -hmm. that I would always be able to work for a church, but I, it felt very unlikely to me that I would ever be um, the one who was called to preach every week or lead a church. Um, And so I've always felt just what a beautiful, um, sacred gift this role is. And I've always just felt been very aware that I didn't you know, that I didn't, like, there was no guarantee that I would have it and that I should Mm -hmm. just really be mindful always of what a a gift it was. Um, But so it's just kind of weird that I don't have a visual memory, uh, like a sense memory of the life. I could go look it up, but I don't remember it. And I was just had this thought driving around, like, what if, like, what if that was the last time? I mean, like, what if this is the way there's just a huge change in normal and there's no, there is no return either suddenly or gradually, like, you know, we're, we're facing a big election and we're, I mean, like you just, um, I don't, I don't want to feel those feelings. I do, I can sort of look at them and think, you know, that that's more based on, um, grief than probably a, a prediction of the future. But I was just kind of sitting with that and thinking, like you know, when, when people imagine the stand or, you know, this you know moment where everything changes, we usually imagine like a decisive moment where there's probably explosions and le- there's like a clear before and after and realizing like, that's not really how history works. I mean, things can change dramatically, but gradually. And like, what if that is, uh, anyway, I was thinking about that and I, and then was talking with my friend Elizabeth and we were talking about the Greensboro sit-ins and we were talking about the civil rights movement and we were talking about how those um, the, the, that was such a transformative moment. Um, obviously, it was a transformative moment because of the men and women, um, particularly black men and women, um, leading um, with such um, uh, just spirit-filled courage. I mean, they were standing and sitting in in the ways that I think Ephesians 6 is talking about without a guarantee other than they knew what justice was and they knew what righteousness was and they stood in it and didn't bow to these powers and principalities. But I was also saying part of it, the passive part of it was white people around the country saw the images on their TV screens and it, it disturbed them. It was unsettling. And people who, who, um, did not know or did not have it in their daily life every day thought this this is not right or I agree with these I mean, it wasn't like the people in those communities um, were like, oh, you've showed us the way. we're gonna you know it was people who saw who then did not like what they saw and agreed with those who were standing that things needed to change. and what what is disturbing to me now is I feel like lots of people are seeing, and they're not disturbed, right? Like lots of people around the country are seeing, um, you know, pro- um, protesters marching in the streets against police brutality and, and being met with police brutality. And some people are horrified, and a lot of people are looking at that and saying, good, right? And so that is what is unsettling for me in this moment of, you um, I I still know, I think clearly what we are called to do, um, as believers, which is to stand and name, name the truth and call out lies and, and put our bodies in the way. Um, and, but, but I also just have less, um, optimism. I have hope, but not optimism. Um, so that, that is, um, I don't even know why I started talking about all of that, but I just, um, this is just a hard season.
1: Yeah. Um, like you, I have hope. Um, I haven't thought much about optimism. I don't know if I, um, (laughs) if I traffic in much optimism just because of the way I'm wired. Um, I do find myself being really encouraged by seeing who is marching and who's protesting. I see a lot of white people out there and um, that is encouraging. And it suggests to me that um, that there are a number of people who who understand, who get it, who are, trying to work for the liberation of us all.
0: And um, And I also
1: see, I also see um, a machine working, a machine to discredit, a machine to distort, a machine to tell an alternative story that just is on its face false. And that um that machine, that machine work is buttressed by decades and decades of you know things like the prison industrial complex, um, the war on drugs, yeah, images what? on television movies. And so when some I don't know if many, but when some white people turn on the news and they see protesters or they see police moving violently against protesters, for them that fits into a story that they've already been trained to see and understand.
0: Right. And I, I mean, like just last night, we were watching with the kids, the first Avengers movie. And it's just so interesting to watch that through the lens of like having spent a lot of time this week, thinking about the the posture that we take in spiritual battle is a stand. And it's just so interesting because that movie, all of those movies, I mean, and they're enjoyable, but they're they're all a celebration of the myth of redemptive violence. Like every, there are just bad guys who do violence and then there are good guys who do violence. And the, and the good guys who do violence will like, I mean, like the Hulk is such a perfect example. Like he, like he, he does, you know, he's Bruce Bannerman, he doesn't want to get mad. Like he holds it back, he holds mm-hmm. it back. But when things are really at stake, like when the evil is extra evilly, he loses control and he then starts smashing things and his smashing things, his good violence saves the day. And I just think like Christians, we should understand the narrative of that redemptive violence never redeems. Like we should be primed to recognize that because the whole death of Jesus is about state sanctioned violence redemptive violence saying for the good of the many this one must die this act of violence is justified and it is for the sake of peace I mean that's and so we should be able to recognize that but I just fear that we know the details of the story but nobody points out the themes because we've been trying to raise our churches and cultures where you know we don't want to call out the military and we don't want to call out the you know so we're trying to walk this balance act so we don't teach people the meta narrative but but our media and this is across the board like i'm this is like the stories we tell that do sink into people's subconscious are avenger stories right are these stories and like not Tolkien really who I think does have kind of a counter narrative to that but this story of like power and violence when wielded by righteous people is salvific and righteous and it's just so it's everywhere
1: listen which is why martin luther king jr is still so very relevant and there has been over the past few years a systematic effort by white evangelical preachers and theologians to undermine to undermine this man who he was and what he did to say um uh, uh, his... he was only
0: about love it was love uh, love
1: my, yes love and, well I'm going to talk about that I mean, next. it
0: was about love let me be clear I'm not mocking the idea of love yes. but I'm just yes
1: well let me go back to movies um you mentioned the Avengers movies we've been in our house oh my Legos movies playing over and over again. Our child is fascinated by the Lego movies. As a matter of fact, he's downstairs right now putting together a new Legos thing. And um, one of them, it's so fascinating because the main character, who's a nice guy, he's the nicest guy. He goes around singing, everything is awesome. And um, he gets drawn into... A, a crusade against evil, and he is told that if he will go to the center of the evil place and smash it to pieces, everything will be okay, everything will be awesome once again, and so he gathers his friends and they go, and um his friends realize, oh no this this isn't this isn't the evil place that we thought it was.' and he doesn't get in so he smashes it and in the end after everything is destroyed he realizes that he had been duped that um the real evil was was um some some character just feeding him lies about um he he's the good guy and his his goal is need just needs to be to smash evil to pieces and the end of the movie is all about um, reconciliation. It's about rebuilding. Everything becomes awesome again. Um, that, that's kind of the theme of the movie. They're singing the song. Um, when, when there is almost shared blame, when there is reconciliation, both sides, it's, it's, it's a very interesting movie and pretty deep for a kid's Lego movie.
0: Well, and I I mean, I think what's interesting about that, and I think that's what's so uh, the temptation that we really have to resist in this moment as believers who are committed to doing justice and loving kindness and and not stopping the Holy Spirit from dismantling destructive systems, even when that is a a chaos-inducing, scary process, and, and some of us benefit from them, but but we have to resist the temptation of, of demonizing people who are in the opposition and really recognizing that what is is what what is destructive is, this, is the ideology. Like what we're against are the ideas, not the people who hold the ideas. And really holding with humility the wisdom and truth that we have, recognizing that we didn't get it because we're so virtuous or we're so grace. Great, we got it. Um, the grace of Jesus Christ and the revelation of scripture. And so what we're trying to do is, um, oppose an ideology, but not oppose the people who hold it. And that's so hard to do because we want to smash things. And I was
1: just about to say part of the hard work, maybe, maybe at the center of the hard work is maintain, especially in a season like this, maintaining relationships with people with whom you disagree.
0: Right. And and I mean, I was reading something and I can't think of where I read it. A, a, a new book that's coming out and one of my friends had lifted it up. But the author, who is a black woman, and the title might be Reconciliation. I'll have to go back and look it up. But she was saying like, sometimes we, we get so committed to the idea of reconciliation that we, but we're not committed to the work of reconciliation. Like if what we're really... Wanting is reconciliation. Then you can't stop having conversations with people who hold an ideology that it, that is evil, destructive, and anti Christ. But if what we're committed to is reconciliation, then we have to be committed to um, being reconciled with those people, but never with that ideology. And that's really, really hard.
1: I once had a couple in my office, a married couple, and. Um one of them committed adultery and he said, okay, I want to reconcile and start fresh and pretend like nothing happened. Yeah. The other spouse was like, no, we, we need to work through this. Something happened and I'm hurting and I need to talk about it. And I didn't doubt the love between them their understanding of what it meant to be reconciled was just right, different.
0: Right, um, right, they, right, There right. is
1: work to be done.
0: Right. Well, and I see that within, I mean, really within the body of Christ, that you just have white Christians who are like, we know, we know, we know, it's really, really bad. Yeah. It's really, really bad. Like, but like, <laughs> let's just stop talking. Like, it's really, really bad. Let's like, stop we agree talking. about it. we just yes. stop talking about it? Like, yes. can you just like, like. I mean, honestly, like the subtext is like, we're over it. Why can't you be like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you still hurting? Or, because your hurting is making me uncomfortable. That's
1: exactly where I was going. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah this and is think,
1: making me feel bad. Well, if it's making you feel bad, well.
0: <laughs> and I just think there's huge part, things we don't understand. And again, we've talked before about sometimes we want our communities to be multi-ethnic, but monocultural, right? So yeah. we just want people with, who have different bodies to come in our communities, but to leave their lived experiences at the door because their lived experiences make us question our lived experience, us white people or the dominant culture and, and, and how we feel. And, and what is like super tragic about that is again, as in all things, I believe the scripture is has clear guidance that like, hey, the church is the body of Christ. And so if one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting regardless of what you, you know, if you can say, oh, it's just my big toe. I don't care about that. It's not very important. I mean, you can say that, but you're not going to be able to isolate that pain. The whole body is hurting. Now, what you can do is um, take a drug and mask it and numb it, but you can't, you know, sooner or later, that pain is going to resurface and, and you're going to have to deal with with healing. And I think for so long, white Christians have really said, you know, grace, hallelujah, forgiveness, you know, God's not, God's not mad at me. So I'm not mad at myself and I'm okay with the way things are. So let's carry on, um, love warriors. And the the reality is other parts of the body are saying, I'm not okay. This is hurting. You are hurting me and I cannot be, you know, and I think to just continue to lift up and say, Hey, the, the scripture is very clear. You're not allowed to tell one part of the body of Christ that their pain doesn't matter because then you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is, we always do this. We're like, we don't really have much to say. And now this is a very long podcast. I got to go do takeout church. What are you, are we just at astonishing? Yes. What are you thinking about? Okay, well, wait, what, fast forward.
1: What I'm thinking about is connected to um When I'm preaching, so I'll I'll just talk about them both right now. Um, I'm I'm preaching Amos five, verse twenty four. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And um, just fascinated by that text. um, I think primarily because um, you know uh, there's a certain imagery there, um, flowing like waters and an uh, ever flowing stream. But the Hebrew there is. really um you know they have these uh, dry riverbeds and then when it rains a, yeah wadis there's a flash flood and so um the prophet is saying let justice and righteousness be like this continual flash flood washing away uh what is so that the news <laughs> can be built and it's a, it's strong language but uh, here i'm thinking about the way um some white Christians and black Christians hear those words, right? So Martin Luther King, in his I Have have a Dream speech, quoted Amos 524. It says, we we cannot be satisfied with the way things are. We cannot be satisfied with oppression and injustice, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so I decided earlier this week to to listen to some preachers, some right now preachers who are teaching, preaching this text. And I listened to a white preacher um, and I think it, the sermon was from within the past couple of months. So it's in this season yeah. mm-hmm. and I could not believe He said, this scripture is not about social justice. This scripture is not about doing justice. I'm not kidding you. They said, "If if you interpret it that way, you are wrong. He said, this scripture is only about the wrath of God coming on the world. It's only about the punishment of God. And so when the prophet says, let justice roll down, the prophet is proclaiming the judgment of God against uh, the evil of the world. That's all that it's about. if
0: If you read Amos, if you read all of the other parts of that prophetic book, Amos is laying out why God is bringing down judgment upon the earth and every single example Has to do with justice. It has to do with the powerful exploiting the powerless. And this is your story, so I'll shut up. But I just, (laughs) for the millionth time, I want a T-shirt that says "Social justice equals justice." Like, what is the what is what what does justice look like if it's not social? Like theoretical justice? Like so, so this justice? Like what kind of justice isn't social?
1: (laughs) This and so if you are a conservative reformed and i'll emphasize reformed because this is i'm about to give you a reformed doctrine a conservative reformed christian evangelical one of the things you believe because i I picked up a i picked up two this week conservative reformed theological dictionaries and i looked up the word justice now one of them said absolutely nothing about social justice. It was all about um, God and God's punishment. But it's interesting. This is what this is what they say that justice is um, justice is one of the communicable attributes of God. That is, it's one of those attributes of God that people share. So right. So God right. has some attributes that we don't share. God is holiness omnipotent, God is omniscient, we are not those things. But God is um, loving, Uh, God is kind, and we can share those attributes. And justice is one of those attributes. And so it's so interesting that there are some preachers who will emphasize God's justice and not emphasize our call, our in, 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 in our seeking to be godly, in our seeking to be Christ like, in our walking in the way of Christ, we also do justice. It's just amazing to me. And so that, that helped me see why, one reason why, um, why Christians and Black Christians just are seeing this season through different lenses. Because if you're hearing that preacher, if, you, if you're sitting under that preaching, and then you hear a politician talk about law and order then that's just going to make total sense to you because but your just, the, your theological framework says oh. justice is about god's judgment law and order is about judgment against whatever and it it just I, makes sense why they would see it that way but it's completely wrong
0: but you can't i mean what i just think is is really Astonishing and not in a good way is that a branch of the body of Christ that prides itself on biblical literalism is not reading the Bible literally when it comes to this issue. Like when you look at Amos and when he's talking about justice, and he's literally saying, like, he has the part about like, I hate your false scales. Like, literally, I'm I got impissed because your merchants are wait, like falsely weighting the scales and so selling people less grain for more money like that it's that level of specificity about the injustice i mean and and there's obviously lots of other examples as well but it's just so interesting that the part of the church that will pride itself on saying like i believe the bible is literally true so noah and there was a big boat i mean jonah inside a big fish and whatever like i'm not i'm not taking a stance on that but i'm just saying like everything that you believe about the Bible being literally true has to do with miraculous or what is supernatural. But when the Bible just speaks very clearly and plainly about the kind of behavior that offends God and renders our rituals of worship and adoration, like, a fit, like literally, like, I hate the sound of your songs. The incense you burn stinks in my nostrils, right? Like where are are the biblical literists when it comes to that, right? So I just it's just astonishing to me. I mean, it shouldn't be, because I think that's how human behavior works, that when we are um, when we are aware that we we are behaving in a and that we are participating in behavior that we are ashamed of, one of the ways that we block that feeling of shame is just to deny it even within our own heads and say like, no, I'm not doing that. You're doing that. <laughs> and so um, anyway, we haven't talked about Jerry Falwell today and I want to keep it that way. But I mean, just an example <laughs> of like, when we do a thing that we know is wrong, the way that we, by our own moral compass, we know it's wrong. And the way that we deal with that shame is to go, you know, not me, but you, you're doing the thing. Anyway, so I just, well, it so is astonishing.
1: It's this group. I would say, no to liberation theology, no to feminist theology, because those theologies ask a lot of questions of the dominant theology from Europe. And the dominant theology from Europe is held as
0: the default correct. just like whiteness it is, it is the,
1: the standard yes
0: correct
1: and so the you know part of the work at least for me is to say okay these folks have some truth and their their work is everywhere right before lifeway Christian bookstores closed. If you if you just went and looked at what they held on the shelf, what they sold on their shelves, it was primarily white evangelical, conservative, uh, and reformed Christians. Everything I mean, and they actively kept other books off the shelf.
0: It was monocultural, even if they would have certain people of color who would also...
1: And very few of them. There's just very few. I mean, it's
0: hard out
1: here. (laughs) It's
0: it's hard to find people who celebrate oppression and destruction of their own communities. But we have
1: to actively um, question, and uh, I, I don't know, there's just... It's even if you Google, like every once in a while, I'll um, just whatever I'm working on, I'll just okay, what what pops up with Google, and there are certain websites, um, I think like Got Questions or something like that. That that seems to me a very uh, white evangelical reformed site, and for a lot of people, that's the default. And so I'm very concerned about people hearing other voices people not um uh, defaulting to the default um uh, well,
0: and dominant I, european I like voice a, and i think like part of what the issue is i am really ready to get rid of all the adjectives like i don't want to call it liberation theology it's theology it right theology. Like, yes. i don't i don't want to call it social justice it's justice and i feel mm. like every time that we sort of conceive like, oh, I'm a feminist theologian, or oh, I'm a, you know, whatever. I mean, that what what in in that default culture, what that what people hear is, oh, that's a derivation, right? Like, so that's why exactly a, a white woman is a woman and a black woman is a black woman, right? And so mm-hmm. to just really to say, like, no, you have a theological perspective, and it is whatever patriarchy or hierarchy or white supremacy, and like we we either have to. I feel like we just need to be able to say like am I a, a white woman am I a black are you a black man yes that's true but is are and and does your particular embodied experience then give you um insight to what the holy spirit is in the world yes but that doesn't mean that those insights are derivative or particular for a subset of humanity. No, I mean, that, that is not true. And so that, I mean, I, I think I, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but like a couple of weeks ago, one of our, I I was, we were still live streaming from the sanctuary and um I was kind of wrapping things up and a, a member of the church who, who helps out with, um, I mean, many, many things, but he came in and I think he was there to pick up some offering stuff and deposit it. And he, Said I was listening to your sermon, and and he's the one who said to me, like, I just made me realize all this time, when when people talk about social justice, they're that's justice, and I was like, yes, like, and you know, yeah. I wouldn't use the mm-hmm. word social justice from the pulpit ever anymore. Like, it's just, I mean, it's just really important it's to just say, justice. like, this isn't some kind of like liberal, progressive, late twentieth century. This isn't neoliberalism this is justice. Like mm-hmm. I don't, it's not that I have some faith in the democratic party to usher in the kingdom of God. I straight up don't. <laughs> but what I'm saying is these are not, this isn't some, you know, wacky elite spin on, I mean, it's just the plain reading of the text. So like we can have a conversation about what our priorities are or whatever, but like, you know, if you somehow say, oh, God doesn't care that, people are being shot in the streets when they haven't committed a crime and they're no threat to anyone and they're not armed. And if you're sort of saying like, oh, the Bible has nothing to say about that, then what that tells me is you have not read the Bible. You might've read a lot of things about the Bible, but you have not read the Bible because you can't and make that claim. You could make the claim maybe that, I mean, I would disagree with you, but you could make the claim that you know, this is the best that we can do, or there's no alternative or, you know, that dismantling the systems would create anarchy and chaos that would be more destructive to vulnerable people in our culture. Like you, you could make a claim that, that the, um, solutions being proposed by people will not be effective in, in bringing about shalom on God's earth. But what you can't say is no, 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 God doesn't have anything to say about that. God doesn't care about that. God, you know, that's not true. Um, with, if your standard of truth is the Bible, then you can't make that claim mm. anyway. Um,
1: so what are you thinking about? What are you preaching?
0: Well, I would just say, and I guess this is related, just to pull the curtain back, because sometimes we do this on being actual real life preachers. Um, so I, whatever, I recorded a sermon for Sunday yesterday. And I mean, you and I have talked a couple times this week. And so I really, we're starting this new worship series on Holy it's called wholly uncomfortable and just trying to, the big idea that I want people to just consider is that um, sometimes life with God, life with the Holy Spirit, life with Jesus um, is uncomfortable. And that as Christians, when we feel discomfort, we, we can't just reflexively run away. We have to ask the question, is this discomfort from God? is this holy discomfort is this a discomfort that is is um a stage in my transformation and whatever well, you know or is it not like sometimes we feel uncomfortable and that's god saying like get out of here this isn't right get away right so we just have to understand that so i mean whatever it's a it's a big concept and i and i've got four more weeks so it's fine it's fine but i mean i also was preaching like the isaiah 6 passage and you know how just sometimes you just are spending a week thinking or more than a week thinking about the preaching moment and thinking about a text and you're just diving in even without the benefit of being able to go to the library. And it's just so rich and multifaceted and you're so excited about what you like, about what, about what the revelation of God is about like who God is. Like you're just, you know, and then whatever, like, there are just times that we've talked about it before where you just get up and you just sit down after preaching and you just are like sick to your stomach because it doesn't even matter. I mean, it does matter how other people experienced it, but just for you in your heart, like you knew that you had this really precious and thing and, and you just didn't, it just, it just didn't happen. Right. And you just like have this like sick regret hangover. And we've talked about before about like, I mean, how it sucks. Like we yeah. normally in real life, we'll get together and walk on Tuesdays. And there are just Tuesday mornings when like one or the other of us is still just like, oh, like <laughs> I'm so, like I'm just sick to my stomach about let what me happened tell on you, Sunday.
1: Let me tell you how I stunk up the joint on Sunday. That's- <laughs> and
0: like, it just is a thing. And like, I get that like, it's not about us. And I get that this is ego talking but like i am a human with an ego well
1: part of it is not about ego part of it is just a love for the text and you want to do the text justice and And part of it is ego
0: (laughs) and part of it is just really feeling like for such a time as this like that Mm -hmm. this is just a really important i mean in like theologically, I know that the Holy Spirit does with the whole, I mean, it's just, com- it's complicated. Okay. It's just complicated. And I just think that it's something that might, I, I think that particular, I, I can imagine how to an outsider listening in, like someone who doesn't preach regularly, although loves Jesus deeply and follows Jesus better than I just, obviously sermons are not the center of the universe or the body of Christ. Right. But it's just, whatever. It's just complicated. But I like, that is a bad feeling to like, go home on Sunday afternoon and lie down and take a nap and just be like, oh, and, and to still feel it too. But let me tell you what's worse. What's worse is when you're preaching in a pandemic. And so you've got to record your sermon and send it in so that it can be stitched into a worship service. So that has to be done by Friday afternoon. So it's like, you have this experience of being like, oh, that was so like, it just, it physically pains me how different what I produced was than what I, you know, and like all of the things I feel, but it hasn't happened yet, right? So it's like, it's like seeing a ball coming (laughs) straight at your face and you know it's coming And it's, you're like regretting something that people, anyway, it's just.
1: Anticipatory grief.
0: I mean, yes, like I just, anyway, whatever, whatever, it's not a big deal. But that is what I'm thinking about is just like, even on a good, even on a quote, a, a day where you do feel like, oh, you know, I used my gift responsibly and well, and God showed, I mean, like even on those and it's not very fun. It's not fun to preach this way because you're not with a community. So you just don't, it's not preaching, it's recording a talk, right? So even on a good day, it ain't fun. But on a, on a bad day, it's so much worse because like it hasn't happened yet and yet I can't, like it's out of my hands now. Anyway, that is pulling back the curtain I, and just being really transparent for just whatever you understand. Um, Although Yolanda Hinton rarely, rarely ever teaches a bad sermon, but um, anyway.
1: I don't know where you (laughs) got that by. Well, someone like me looking at someone like you, you are a person, you're just wired to, um, if you're given a subject, you have thoughts, you know, pretty quickly. (laughs) And so, no, well, no, this is, this is not shade. Uh, It's the opposite. Um, And so you can fairly quickly um, determine what you want to say, right? For me, it is labor. Every word, every sentence is labor. So by the time I have a manuscript, I am exhausted. And then when it's time to record, I'm I'm pretty tired. And so often I I walk away from the recording thinking that was just, um, was so low energy. (laughs) That was so, that was not only was the, uh, the, what I said, not exactly the way I wanted to say it, but the presentation, my, my countenance, my body language was not what I wanted it to be. And yeah, it,
0: it's hard. It's hard. It's just a, oh gosh, it's such an extraordinary season. I mean, and this is in the scope of everything that everyone is dealing with. It, it, this is a small thing, but it's a real thing for me and for you. And, and, um, it just, it, it, it just, just this really bizarre thing. And I, I think like we talk about, I mean, as we should, we talk about justice a lot, um, because people's, you know, people's lives and being able to flourish in the kingdom of God and shalom, like that is what is essential. But like, we just both love preaching. Like that is, Mm -hmm. I think for both of us, like the favorite or one of the favorite parts of this life. And so it's just such a weird... um, But
1: it's not weirder, it's not any weirder than someone, let's say like a Paul, sitting down, uh, writing a letter... It's like I really want to be in Corinth. I really want no, to be. No, it's in exactly Ephesus. the same. And he writes a letter and hands it to someone. and Says, "Okay, take it to those believers." Wow. And I wonder how many times you know, uh, if if I could have said it this way or whatever. I know. I right? mean, if I know. The...
0: I know, but I mean, I think knowing that doesn't mean that you your feelings go away, right? No, like and, absolutely. I mean, and to your to that point, like I was really struck at looking at that last part of Ephesians where, you know, Paul is just in chapter six, you know, talked about the stand and the and the armor and, you know, the powers and principalities and what God is, you know, and then, and then his last words are like, pray for me that I can mm. continue to fearlessly proclaim the gospel as I should. That's and just good. sort of That's this good. difference between like what he knows That's good. is real in terms of who God is. And then he, I mean, clearly to me, he's asking people to pray that he will preach fearlessly because He has fear, like those feelings, like just knowing something doesn't make those feelings disappear. And so I think that, that is the truth. Like I really believe that this is extraordinary and fruitful, transformative time, not because I have optimism, but because I have hope and because I have experience with God. And because I, I believe the witness of scripture that, you know, God works under the surface in transformative ways. So like, I, I really, have that hope and yet my feelings like i don't this uh, they are not comfortable feelings and and knowing that i shouldn't feel that way doesn't make them disappear and which i guess is i mean everyone is in that boat right now in fact the other day i was talking to a friend and and she was just talking about how hard this is right now and she immediately said but you know i know people have it worse i'm like i sure. And like, I love your heart of compassion for other people, but like you are in pain right now and knowing that other people are in more pain and caring about other people being in deeper pain does not magically make your pain disappear. Like this, we all just still feel what we feel. And a lot of those feelings are, are not comfortable. Hey, we have to quit. I have to be at the church in four minutes and I live 30 minutes away. So, um, <laughs>
1: All righty then.
0: Pandemic is not helping my persistent delusion that I can be in two places at once. (laughs) Like, this is not. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. I don't really have to be there at 1030. I just intended to be there at 1030. Um, So thank you for listening to us again. We love making this podcast a little oasis of kind of normal and this extraordinary moment, you um, should definitely check out Derida Church, D-E-R-I-T-A, Derida Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Google it, and it'll pop you over to their website, and you can listen to Yolando's messages either on the Podbeam website, look for the Derida Church podcast, or you can go to um, the Derida Church YouTube channel, and then you can both hear and see Yolando Hinton, which is la pretty la. cool. Um, and if you want to know more about the Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, you can listen to our sermons on iTunes. Just look for the Grove Church podcast. It's a little tree with headphones on. It's pretty cool. And, um, you can, um, worship with us, um, in our live stream service, which is on Facebook and the Grove Church Charlotte, um, There's a tree and we worship a 10. The live stream is hopping. It's lots of fun. So you can worship with us or watch um, old worship services as well. So thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week.